And we're back. It's episode 23 of 23. Midwest Vegan Radio. Look at us, 23. 23 episodes. They go by so fast. They do. They're like children. They just, it's like you, you birth them and then they're 16 the next day. And yeah. Or something bizarre. Like, that was bizarre. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so 23. So welcome to episode 23. This episode's for you and me. I don't like that. It kind of reminds me of Free to Be. Did you listen to that? Free to be you and me? Yeah, when you were little. Okay. It's all right to cry. Uh, You don't remember this? I don't. Oh my gosh, free to be. That was such a, it was this really hippie, hippie album. We had it on vinyl and it was, it was actually really awesome. I wonder if they have that on iTunes. All right. So (laughs) we are allowing vegans to be free to be you and me. No, no. If you don't get it, then there's probably a lot of other people who won't get it. We should come up with a different one. Okay. Um, I'm well, thinking, like, eat your asparagus and you'll have smelly pee. <laughs> that, that is something everyone can relate to. All I right. think that's it. There you go. Episode right. 23, eat your asparagus and... You'll have smelly pee. You'll have smelly pee. You're listening to Midwest Vegan Radio. We're sharing all our secrets. <laughs> We're sharing all of our secrets just for you special listeners. With your hosts, Dallas. That sounds so good. And Ryan. Pass the news. Welcome back. I'm Here Ryan. Oh, yeah, you are. Sorry, I interrupted you. That's I am fine. always interrupting you. For people who listen, it's not a big deal. I always say we're back. You always say you're Ryan. Then I say I'm Dallas. That's because I'm expecting you to stop talking and let me introduce myself. Because you always, just, you just gotta... I gotta get there right away. You gotta get there. You gotta be on. Maybe um, you're the one who should say I'm Who's back. over there? Who is over there? Who's that guy with the is, hair? Is that Elliot? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair is... Wicked today. Yes. Epic yes. is a Thank good way you. to describe your hair today. It's I don't even know what to say. Thank you. Yeah, speechless. It's, They're all speechless. It kind of looks like a seventies rock star or a porn yeah. star. I'm going for G- uh, Jim Morrison. I don't want to think about that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, he's got the little mustache too, like the dirty stash. Yes. With the hair like that, you totally need to be in seventies porn. We need a no, time machine. No, stop I'm working it, on it. Ryan. Yeah. I'm not saying we need to watch him. I'm just saying <laughs> he should be doing that. No. I'm the best. Okay. Yeah. We are moving on. I I, okay. I cannot handle this. So, uh, we're moving on <laughs> right now. Um, and today we have an... Um, I'm really excited. We have a special guest. We have a super special guest. And our guest is actually not here in the room with us, which is a first. That's a Thank first. you. Um, we just keep getting better and better for you guys. Uh, and um, Maybe. We actually, we have an international guest. So, we've got Matt Ellerbeck from... Canada. And I know I'm a stupid American, and so Canada, it's like, oh, it's just, it's Canada. I'm actually just (laughs) excited to listen to him talk because I love Canadian accents. Oh, yeah. I love them. Uh, So, wait, uh, Ontario? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Ontario, Canada. Okay, good. And that is a bit like a province? So, Ontario is big in and of itself. So, that's like a state almost. I think they're bigger yeah, than we states. Have states. We have provinces. Province, but Ontario is large. It so is. So, yeah. what's the city for people who aren't stupid <laughs> about <laughs> geography? I'm in Kingston. 
Um, but for people that don't know where that is, um, it's about two hours west of Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. He said a so. boot. Yes. And Sorry. Ottawa. It's, so, it's too cute to me. Matt, are you a hockey fan? Matt? Not actually. I hate the cold and I hate hockey. Oh. So I'm really not a very good typical Canadian. Yeah. Oh. That's okay. So tell me, in reference to the United States or the Midwest, where would you be north of us? I would be uh, northeast of you guys. Okay. Should we pull up a map? No. Let's, uh, <laughs> we'll have, that'll be, we'll have to do that uh, later because, you know, always prepared. Yeah, we're but always, always prepared. I really, I want to get going because Matt, we haven't really said anything about Matt aside from that he lives <laughs> in Canada somewhere. He's just <laughs> and he's, some random guy. And he's guy. not in the room with us. He's some random Canadian then. <laughs> some ran- Actually, no, Matt is vegan, which is important. Right. Um, our guests should be. They want to know that. They really ought to be. Um, and... He's also known as the Snake Man. He is the Snake Man. And I think, I mean, we talked a little bit about snakes on a previous episode, briefly. We did. And that was in what, about animal adoption or rescue or something? I have no idea. I don't know. I remember talking about it, though, and I'm thinking mm-hmm. that it would be a really good, a, I mean, it was just a segue, you know, some kind of portion of a conversation where we talked about... You, you, Ryan, had a snake that you snake. used to live with, and you know, I you loved had snaker. her. And um, about how I am afraid of them, mm-hmm. and about that being an issue to explore around speciesism with me, mm-hmm. and uh, about uh, snakes being fed live animals mm-hmm. at times, and you used to do that. And so I just thought, wow, it would be a really good conversation to have, and also in terms of. Uh, speciesism in general, it's a good way to address that issue because snakes, I think, are really, really... I mean, people have so much prejudice, bigotry, and bias against them. And for, I mean, just for who they are. Right. And so we're going to be talking about snakes. Not on a plane. Not on a plane. Although, I it might come up because it just did, but they're not... We're, <laughs> that was a joke I put down in our... Our uh, binder snakes, yeah. not on a plane, just other places. Yeah, but um, Matt, you should know that we eventually stop rambling and we'll let you talk. <laughs> eventually, <laughs> eventually. But that's yeah, that's just part that's of. That's how this. That's how we do this. Uh, okay, so, so uh, you first of all, we want to let people know uh, about your website. Yes. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and tell us about your website? Um. So my website, I've designed it to be a hub of information where individuals can log on and learn about the sort of animal rights issues that snakes face. Um, I think, I mean, there's so many wonderful animal rights groups out there now and with the internet and, you know, media, it's so accessible to get information on say factory farming or this, you know, the fur trade and, and other issues. Right. But, snakes largely don't receive any attention so what i've done is try to make a place that people can access and learn all about the issues that snakes face um both from an animal rights standpoint and a conservation point of view so wild and captive snakes and then there's lots of information about what people can do to help out i don't want 
people just to log on and fill them with doom and gloom. I mean, the threats that they face are, you know, extremely horrible and, you know, very horrific. And often with snakes, very deliberate. A lot of the threats that they face are people purposely trying to be cruel to them or hurt mm. them because they perceive them as these, you know, murderous monsters or these cold-blooded killers and, and these other stigmas that surround snakes. So um, it is very not to be filled with a sense of sadness, but hopefully to become inspired and learn what they can do to help. So on there is a page called Save the Snakes, and it's just full of information that the everyday person could do in their day-to-day -day lives to help snakes out and improve their quality of life and alleviate some of the cruelty that they receive and contribute to their conservation. So I really want people to become active and um, and that's what veganism to me is all about, trying to conduct, you know, our lives in a way that will not only be kind to animals and not support cruelty, but also, you know, take it a step further and really try to become active and help them. And I just want people that love animals to apply those feelings to snakes too, not just, you know, the cute and cuddly creatures of the world. Actually, I want to do a whole episode about veganism and that whole taking it a step further. And, you know, actually, like, at what part of... Uh, anyway, I appreciate you said that because I'm making a note for a future episode. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to derail this one. But... Um, Dallas, what is it that you are afraid of with What What is your weirdness about it? Or, Matt, what do you think people's weirdness is about snakes? Is well, it just that they're so different than us? I, I mean, mean, chickens are really different than us, but what is it about snakes? I mean, I can I tell you what I think, and then Matt can see if it's common. I don't know, but... I don't know. Why don't you go ahead, Matt? Tell us what, what you hear, and I'll tell you if... Okay, and then you tell me if you think that if that rings true for yourself. Yeah. But what I think it is, and from what I've seen with my experience in doing snake advocacy, um, is that most people are very urbanized nowadays. They're very disconnected from nature and animals and the natural world. So there's so much about wildlife that people don't know anyway and what they think they know, unfortunately, comes from TV and movies and the media. And if you look at the way snakes are portrayed, like so you mentioned earlier, snakes on a plane and hmm. movies like Anaconda and, you know, and even shows that are quote unquote educational about snakes will be things like top 10 deadliest snakes of Africa. I mean, it's so over the top and sensationalized. So if you don't really know something about an animal or a species and all you're ever bombarded with is negative attitudes what else are you going to believe so i think unfortunately people really do buy into that um, message that snakes are nothing more than these murderous monsters and everything you see about them is is quite negative about and how you know giant snakes will constrict you and eat you alive and venomous snakes will you know fill you with toxins and it's it's very sensational and it, and, it, and, it, and i think it really does perpetuate those negative stereotypes about snakes um and then the fact that they are very different even from other animals um you know because they you know they are legless and, and scaly so they are quite different than most of the animals that people do come in contact with like you know dogs and cats and and mammals so the mixture of them being slightly alien to us and then all that negativity surrounding them i just think it gives them a really bad reputation and sadly that's what a lot of people believe well yeah, I can I can get that. I'm aware of all the stigmas about them and the, you know, lies that are told about them. And I get, you know, 
that our society really makes them out to be evil. I mean, like the Adam and Eve thing, the serpent in the garden. Like I was that just they're just that. this a symbol of evil, and you know, I don't know the devil or wrongdoing or sin or you know, some kind of being you know deceptive. I don't know all of these negative qualities are tossed onto them. And I'm aware of that. Um, you know, I know that people think, oh, they're slimy. I know that they're not slimy. I've never touched one, but I know that they're supposed to be dry to the top. They're not slimy. I've heard, yes, I believe people who have touched them when they say that, you know, I, I think, um, and I also believe that in general, I, I mean, I believe that they're not out to get anybody that usually, in most cases, I would be more afraid of them than they are of me. You know, like, no, 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 no. They would be more afraid of me than I, have, <laughs> of a, the, than I yeah. am of them, right? Even though I'm really scared. Because they just don't want to be around people, which I can imagine. Um, so, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit distracted. <laughs> um, oh, okay. I don't need to be so loud. You're fine. Okay. Um, Elliot can adjust the levels. I'm, the I'm best sorry. In the biz, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, so, but you know, I remember like watching movies as a kid, like Indiana Jones and the Snake Pit, oh. and his catchphrase. You know, I hate snakes. I hate snakes. I hate, I hate snakes. Yeah. And he's this guy who's supposed to be able to take anything, right? But snakes are his weakness. Like they're his big, big fear. To this guy who goes and on all these adventures and gets into all kinds of dangerous situations like snakes or what kind of are his Achilles heel or whatever. Um, so I don't really, I don't know what, what happened with that with me. I know I wasn't really exposed to them at all. And I don't know what happened to make me be afraid of them, but it seems like many, many people are. It's a common phobia. One of the most common. Very common. And you know, I know, and I know that it's irrational and I actually it's, this is telling, this is really telling because I, I, I have a story that I tell regularly about, you know, little Dallas, the animal rights activist, like how I started out advocating for animals when I was just tiny. And one of the things, you know, when I was maybe five years old and real, and I found out that the humane society didn't just rescue animals, but they also killed them, dogs and cats. And so I asked my mom, I dictated a letter that my mom wrote down for me that <laughs> I was going to send to the Humane Society. And in this letter, I told them that I lied. And I said that my dad was a police officer because <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be intimidating. And that if they didn't stop killing dogs and cats and locking them up in cages, that I was going to send my dad over there. And they were not going to be, you know, have, you know, he was going to really be mean. And if they really needed to kill animals, they should kill all the snakes and spiders instead. Oh, this is me at five, which is awful to say now. But like, that was my, you already you know, had it I, way back then. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was already, you know, at five years old, quote unquote, at, you know, loving animals, but not making that distinction, you know, and it took me a while, I think, you know, when I finally realized, like, oh, okay, I started to get animal rights in a bigger picture. And even if I didn't particularly like 
anim, you know, if I didn't like a particular species, I still didn't want to see, you know, that doesn't mean that they deserve, just because I don't, I'm not a fan of them doesn't mean that they deserve to be abused or wiped off the planet. You know, that's just <laughs> so, that's fucked up. Um, but, and so, you know, I can kind of relate to other people um, who are not cuddly, you know, who, who don't like animals. Like they don't, they're not, they're not animal lovers. It's like, well, I'm not a, I don't love all animals either, but that doesn't mean that it's okay to, you know, abuse them or kill them or manipulate them or keep them in, you know, keep them confined or whatever it is. Like they still, they don't deserve that just because I don't prefer to, you know, look at them or touch them over somebody else. So, um, anyway, I got a little bit derailed, but I just wanted to say, like, I think, um, I don't know, like, I've made some efforts, like, I've looked at pictures of them, <laughs> and, you know, like, I think that there have been times where maybe there is a snake somewhere that I can see, <laughs> and I don't go running in the opposite direction, you know, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I don't, I, maybe it is something that I should look at, look at trying to actually get over because it might be a good personal development thing too. But also as a vegan who honestly believes in animal rights, uh, that's that, I mean, it is an unbiased complete, you know, I mean, it, what, not unbiased. It, it, I mean, it is completely like the definition of prejudice just because, I mean, I know all these things to be myths about, you know, that they're, they're not true, but what am I afraid of? They're going to bite me? Those fangs are scary. Well, they're scary. They're big. You when know? are you going to run into a snake anyway? All right. Let's, I let's talk saw to Matt one, more. Yes, I, I know we should. I saw one on a trail when my, uh, Brandon and I were hiking with the dogs and a snake went through the grass and just freaked me out. Just Probably like, not one that was going to bite you though. No, obviously not. We <laughs> scared that snake. They, he ran away or she or whoever. I mean, ran without legs, you know, away. <laughs> slithered. But, uh, slithered <laughs> away really fast. Clearly did not want to be around us, but I was pretty shaken up. And it's like that, that was my encounter. Nothing happened at all. So do you think Dallas is a little cuckoo? No, uh, lots of people. And I'm glad what she brought up about because I and this is what really motivated me to want to be an advocate for snakes because I I mean I am on an executive board for a local animal rights group and also um am part of a vegan vegetarian network as well mm -hmm. so I mean I love all animals and I you know I'm very passionate about the movement as a whole but my main focus is snakes because I just feel that you know they need an advocate someone to really bring positive attention to them because um, I've seen other people, um, like she was talking about, you know, the little animal activist at six years old, but saying, you know, go kill the snakes and spiders. But mm -hmm. I see that with adults um, all the time. Like uh, some woman sent me a letter to my website and she said she ran um, an online group about animal rights. And she's like, you know, snakes are different. They don't deserve to be protected. They're, you know, they're not even really animals. Like you see, I see, hear that prejudice what? that reptiles are not really animals and there is something posted on PETA's website about rattlesnakes and uh someone posted in the comments and she's like I'm all for PETA and 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 all for animal rights but 
I think rattlesnakes should be killed. And, and so it's just, there's lots of moments like that where I see that people will say, I'm for animal rights or I'm against animal cruelty, but it's, snakes are different and that somehow they justify that, you know, the cruelty that the snakes receive is somehow okay. And that's what really made me want to... Um, you know, advocate on their behalf and, and try to get people to look at things a little bit differently and uh, hopefully inspire empathy for them. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, snakes are vertebrate animals, just like human beings, just like dogs and cats. They breathe air, uh, they bleed blood, their internal anatomies are really not that much different than our own, and they do have pain receptors and they can experience pain and suffering. Um, and I think those reasons are, uh, you know, enough that they should have just as much rights um, to, you know, live a life that their freedoms are not going to be intruded on or be subjected to cruelty or exploitation mm -hmm. as any other animal. And just because um, someone doesn't think they're cute or cuddly, I don't think that's justification to sort of turn a blind eye to the, the problems they face. And for me, it's quite frustrating, right? Because, I mean, I love um, all animals, and, and you expect when you meet other activists and like-minded individuals that you would have that you know that bond or connection or you at least both feel strongly about a similar cause and then for them to turn around and be like well I don't like what you're doing I don't like snakes mm -hmm. you know why don't you focus your efforts on something you know it is quite frustrating so but you know you turn that around and hopefully use it as fuel to uh to keep you going and, and want to change people's minds so people kind of they kind of get they're uncomfortable around you because you're associated with these animals that they're uncomfortable with? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. And I mean, a lot, I, my group here in town, um, the animal rights group that I'm on the board with, like we did a lot of stuff with, there were circuses in towns and we did a lot, a lot of stuff about um, circus animal abuse and, and the seal hunt and things. And I, I think, and which is great and I love to do that, but a lot of the people had a background information about some of those um, you know some of those problems and they didn't really know that much about snakes so i think a lot of them you know one of the girls said that she really appreciates what i bring to the table because i'm sort of you know making them more aware about other sorts of animals mm -hmm. as well and 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 i think you know if i can teach if i go into a school or a display or and i give a lecture or a presentation somewhere and i change people's minds about snakes and you can convince them that they deserve to be protected and conserved, then they'll apply those feelings to other animals as well. So I think it, it's all part of the same puzzle. Yeah. I mean, when I started out um, doing this, I was 19 years old when I gave my first snake lecture. So I was still a kid, really. Um, and I wasn't a vegan. I didn't even know what a vegan was at that point. And I didn't really know much about the animal rights movement, but I remember the things I was talking about. I saw I sort of started off as a snake conservationist, right? Just focusing on endangered species issues. But I was talking about things like rattlesnake roundups where snakes are rounded up and killed. And I was talking about venomoids, which are venomous snakes that are very crudely and cruelly altered to have their venom sacs taken out so they can sell them as pets. And, Another conservationist came up to me very early on and said, well, you know, those aren't really conservation issues. Those are more animal cruelty issues. So even though I didn't know about that stuff, I was already sort of talking about it anyways. And it slowly evolved. And 
I started to realize the things I was talking about at my shows were very much animal rights related, but focused on snakes. And I thought, I don't want to be a hypocrite and say, don't do that to this one, but mm. I'm going to do it to, to everything else. And that's why I decided to go vegetarian and then vegan and then get really interested in animal rights as a whole. So it's just an interest in one animal really made like a light go off and think about them all. So I hope that for people that like animals but don't like snakes, I can do the reversal for them. Yeah. Or people that come to see me just for snake stuff can maybe apply that to other animals as well. So it works on all sorts of different levels. That's awesome. Where, how come, why did you pick snakes? Of all the things to be interested in, why did you pick snakes? It's something I can't really articulate. Um, I get asked that all the time, but it's just something that's inside me. I remember being a very, um, I was like, you know, four or five years old and I was with my grandmother and we walked over a bridge and there was a river underneath us and I seen a big northern water snake and it was going up uh, to bask on the rocks. And I looked at my grandmother and said, I'm going to go see that snake. Like I just thought, oh, look, at I wanted to go see it. And she's like, no, no, you're not. And trying to, and then... Are they uh, dangerous? No, not oh, at all. Okay. I mean, she was just squeamish, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to go see that snake. And then a couple of years later, I used to see them all the time at my campground. And I think I was about eight or nine at this point. And I was always thrilled and excited to see them. And then the reactions that other people would have, like I would see a snake and be like, oh, come see this. Isn't it interesting and beautiful? And then people would, you know, be very negative and harbor all these you know, terrible, you know, thoughts about, it. and lots of people tell, and even as a kid, like, oh, I kill snakes if I see them, and we'll get the shovel and chop them up, mm. and I was horrified, I didn't understand that these are something that I seen every summer growing up, I had never had a negative encounter with a snake, I had encountered them many times in their own territory, and yet I, you know, found them to be, you know, very gentle, misunderstood creatures, but yet there was all this hatred surrounding them and so i just understood very early on that snakes were unfairly treated and stigmatized and as i got older that never went away and that's um why i decided to go in that direction so it's not something that why did i choose snakes i don't know it just it, we kind of met in the middle i was just a kid who happened to be exposed to snakes over and over and over and and had a tremendous sense of empathy for them and it's never gone away so very cool yeah that is actually really cool so, um, okay, I guess I'm curious about, um, I do want to ask about the snakes and the feeding of them and how you, how do you address that as a vegan animal rights guy? Right. Which is, you know what? It's funny out of all, cause I've done lots of media and interviews and stuff. And that's one question that's never come up sort of publicly, yeah. but People have asked me in my personal life all the time, and this is how I look at it. Um, number one, the snakes that I have um, are all rescues. One, exotic species that have been either bred, like similar to puppy mills, um, for the pet trade, or ones that have been captured from the wild and sent to the pet trade. People buy them and then usually get bored of them people that buy snakes usually want to do it for the shock value the novelty mm -hmm. the machoism um they get the animals those feelings wear off and then they want to get rid of them so i, I just want to clarify that the only reason i have the snakes is because they are rescues 
I mean, I live in Canada, and I can't release an anaconda or a python into the natural environment here. Right. Um, not only will the snake die, but it can transfer, um, you know, pathogens and diseases um, to the natural ecosystems and, and kill lots of animals, which I think degrading an animal's natural home and, and destroying an entire population would be, certainly be a huge animal rights issue and an environmental and conservation one as well. So sadly, those exotic species that go through the pet trade are kind of stuck in captivity, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what my objective is, is to give them the most natural life I can possible, make sure they're properly looked after, make sure they're happy and healthy. And that means I have to give them the prey that they would naturally have in the wild, which unfortunately, you know, snakes are predators. They eat other animals. I don't eat animals because I can make that decision for myself. I can consciously choose, you know, not to do that and and be very healthy and happy doing so. I can't say to the snake, don't eat that. And in fact, snakes are not omnivores. Like some people that have dogs and cats will put them on a vegan diet. You mm -hmm. hear more and more about. And, uh, you know, other reptiles like certain lizards and turtles are omnivores. So they, you know, will eat a lot of vegetation and plant matter. Snakes are all totally carnivorous across the board. In nature, there's very few absolutes, but all snakes are all totally carnivorous. And in the wild, that's what they would naturally do. And I think it would be a, an infringement on their rights to try to force them to live a life that's unnatural to them. I want them to try to live as naturally as possible. Um, and in doing so, I try to do so in the kindest way I can. So all of the the you know the food that the snakes get are pre-killed and uh, they're killed by co2 so it's not painful for them um it's not something that you know again that i really like obviously it is a bit strange that you know i don't eat animals but again i give them what they need um and so that it's sort of something i have to deal with it's like a parent right you might be put into instances that are uncomfortable for you but you do what you have to do to give um you know your dependence you know the best life that you can and the best care that you can so i have to give the snakes what they need um but i don't feed live prey to them and 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 certainly and i don't try to make a mockery of it i mean you see people on youtube feeding dangling mice in front of their faces and people cheering them on and oh my god watch this is going to kill this man like certainly nothing like that i mean it's not a spectacle and it's not entertainment i'm giving them you know, the requirements that they need. So right. that's kind of how I feel about it. So again, I just try to treat them as naturally as I would. I mean, if they would eat, if snakes ain't plant matter, that would be fantastic, but they don't. So that's kind of how I look at it. I think that that was kind of what the question that Dallas was going for, because, you know, we would never suggest that an animal that is a carnivore should be tried to... Like, we should try to make them into something other than what they are. And, no, I mean, you know, Dallas has um, some of her companion animals. Actually, the vegan diet doesn't work for them. So, you know, she's in the same boat, too. But I think I think that you spoke very well to what the question really was is, you know, what do you feel about that? And how, you know, what do you do? And, you know, so, okay, you have them. They are killed before, so they're not tortured necessarily or tormented by a snake where they normally would be in the wild but and that they're killed um i guess put down in a painless sort of way is is good to know because i when i had a snake i fed her live rats 
and I didn't ever, and I actually would kind of thwap them against the cage a little bit to stun them because I didn't want them to hurt my snake. Um, and sometimes I would do frozen, but I wasn't vegan at the time and wasn't involved in animal rights at all. So, um, you know, it was just, that was what I did. And yeah, it, it feels really strange now, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird to even say that I did that, but I'm not going to say that I didn't. Yeah. And well, and I've, I used to have, I had a rat and I've had mice as companions, you know, so yeah. it's like, oh, but there, you, know, you, you, you feel for who you know. Yeah. You know, but there are organizations, Matt, I'm not sure if you've heard of some of these groups that actually feel that we should be trying to veganize carnivorous animals. Have you heard of some of these groups? I haven't, but I mean, I, and I, all, I, all I can do is offer my own opinion. And to me, when I think of the word animal rights, I mean, I, I think about giving animals rights to live their life free from human intrusion. And that means exploiting them, um, commoditizing them, inflicting cruelty on them, or forcing them into situations unnatural to them. I think having rights for an animal is to be as free mm -hmm. from are you know monopolizing as possible and sad i mean in an ideal you know i'm all for animal liberation but it's not an ideal world and there are instances where people do have to interact with animals um in unnatural settings um, and when that happens the objective is to do so in the least intrusive and and most humane way possible and hopefully only in situations that provide some benefit to that species or to the movement as a whole that's what i believe um, so going back to that, I don't think it is right to try to veganize um, carnivorous animals. I mean, these animals, in a lot of cases, have been around for, you know, millions of years before humans ever came along. They've evolved in certain ways. They have their own lifestyles and ecologies um, set. So who are we to come in and sort of force our views on them, even if it is a vegan point of view. I mean, I as a person can make that conscious decision. Do I want to live my life as, you know, a carnist, or do I want to be a vegan? Um, or maybe somewhere in the middle, right? But I can make that choice for myself. I, it's not, I would feel very uncomfortable about trying to force an animal to do anything. And I think that forcing an animal into unnatural situations is... A form of animal cruelty in itself so it's not something that I would um, advocate for doing um, and certainly you know and, and, and but I can also appreciate that you know a lot of these issues are not black and white they're you know they're complex problems with lots of variables and you know if, if these issues that we were dealing with were simple we would have solved them by now <laughs> yeah. so I can, anyone who's doing anything in the movement, I mean, they have my respect. I'm not an expert on everything, um, and certainly I don't know how to solve all the world's problems. And um, so my, I, you know, I have the, you know, great respect for anyone who's trying to do something, or at least trying to, you know, make a difference. And, and if they're doing what they, you know, trying their best to, to help the animals, then I appreciate that. I mean, because it is complicated, but for myself personally, I wouldn't try to, you know, force a, a predator, a predatory animal into uh, being something that it's not. Yeah. Um, and one other thing I should say, going back to about, you know, feeding the snakes and, and keeping them in captivity, I did talk about, you know, I only have them on a rescue and rehab basis. Um, I also would like to say I don't advocate for keeping snakes as pets. And when I do, um, 
you know, media or social networking or my lectures or presentations, I always tell people um, that I don't agree with keeping snakes in captivity. Um, they're best left in the wild. And uh, one of the best things people can do to help snakes is not support the pet trade or reptile breeders or the exotic animal trade in any way. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm curious about that. So um, I guess I am curious about the snake. I mean, when you're doing rehab, if you get a snake that had been bred, you know, or captured from the wild, how, how frequently can you re-release them? What happens is we released a couple snakes this year, which, I mean, and that's like the greatest, you know, feeling in the world is to take an animal that has been, you know, unfortunately injured by humans or, and then, you know, caring for it, treating whatever ailments it has and then releasing it back into the wild. And, and I'm so thankful that I've had that chance. Um, but again, it's it, uh, sadly not something that happens a lot. What happens is if the snakes are native to this area and someone has captured it from a neighboring ecosystem, kept it in captivity, and then it, it gets seized um, and then we can re-release it, that's something that can feasibly be done because it came from these you know local habitats so it can be re-released there. It's the exotic ones that sort of are imported from all over the world or bred from all over the world that sort of get stuck in captivity. Because, um, I mean, trying to find an organization or grant money to fund the snake, going to a vet and treat it for any of these exotic parasites that it has picked up through, you know, going through the pet trade and exposed to all these other animals from all sorts of different areas of the world, suddenly all flunked together is like next to impossible. And then, you know, shipping animals, you know, over, you know, internet, different borders and territories is, is quite hard as well. So, you know, sadly, it's not feasible. I it would be great if all of the snakes, you know, could be released back into the wild where they belong. But um, sadly, you know, it, it is impossible for all of them. So the ones that come from this area that find their way into captivity um, are always re-released back into the wild where they belong after they're treated. The exotic ones are sort of set up in a sanctuary-like setting where um, hmm. they're given a habitat that's made up to uh, be similar to what they would experience in the wild and uh, try to keep them happy and healthy. And is that the sanctuary setting, is that something that you do or is that something? Yeah, that's what I, with the snakes that I take in that can't be re-released, yeah. Um, I care for them. So a lot of the snakes have come from humane societies and animal shelters and animal rescues that suddenly get snakes dumped on them and then they don't know what to do with them because their staff is, you know, usually um, knowledgeable about dogs and cats and, and sometimes rabbits and things, but suddenly they're dealing with boa constrictors or anacondas. And then I sometimes work on uh, sort of an individual basis, like sometimes people will approach me and um, they've you know seen me somewhere and or found my website and say listen i have a pet snake um i don't want it anymore i admittedly can't take care of it will you take it in and the large majority of the times the snakes come to you with some sort of health problems that have usually been brought on by improper care and, and that's what i try to emphasize to people that th this is why the pet trade is so bad for snakes, and, I, and I'm sure it is for all other animals as well, um, but it just creates a platform for anyone to walk in off the street and obtain these exotic animals and, and then do so 
and subject them to any form of misuse or, or cruelty or improper conditions. And it's been well documented. Um, there is a study called uh, Scales and Tails, which was put together by an organization called ZooCheck. And it just um, maps out all the different, you know, cruelty aspects of reptiles in the pet trade. And I've read that 90% of all pet snakes sold will die prematurely due to improper care. So that's a massive amount yeah. of pain and suffering caused by this one trade. So that's why I always, you know, uh, strongly encourage people not to support it. And that, and at the end of the day, snakes aren't really companion animals. When I think of people with companion animals, I think of an animal that has a bond with a person. I mean, if you adopt a dog or a cat or even a rabbit or a guinea pig, those animals like to socialize. When you leave, um, the dogs will bark around your feet and they can sense that you're leaving when they come home. They show you affection. They cuddle with you. They lick you. They want to be played with. They purr. They have all these visual cues to show you that they do have some sort of bond with you. They enjoy being um, played with and, and interacted with. And by doing that, it improves their quality of life. I mean, I volunteer at a, a local shelter. And when you go in the morning, all the cats are you know, um, you know, crying and their paws are coming out trying to reach you because they, they like that attention, right? Mm -hmm. And by giving them some attention, it does improve their quality of life. Um, snakes are not social animals. And although I love them, I love them as they naturally are. I don't want them to act in a fashion that is alien to them. So even though I've rescued these snakes and taken them in from these horrible situations, I don't delude myself. When I come home, the snakes don't are not happy to see me. They don't love me. They don't want to interact with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I want. I want them to act natural. So they're really not pets. I mean, they have no bond with me. They have no relationship with me. Um, and, and that's it. So, I mean, they're really not pets to begin with. And and the, the trade, this exotic animal trade, has done nothing but exploit them and cause them a massive amount of suffering and death. And I find it so frustrating that a lot of these traveling, you know, reptile shows that claim to be about conservation through education and all the rest of it, yeah. everyone that I've seen throughout the years, all of them breed reptiles and sell reptiles and they go to these reptile expos. And I think it sends a very mixed message. How can you say you're for the conservation of something and then turn around and be a part of a trade that just exploits them so badly? And it's, so it is it's very frustrating for me to see these people that are out there that say they claim to love snakes and love reptiles and they want the best for these animals, but they're going to sell them like no better than, you know, a chocolate bar and a candy store. Just another product to make money off of moving, you know, they're trying to move units to increase monetary gain. And I think, you know, that's very exploitive um, and a lot, it's sad to see. A lot like zoos. I mean, Very they're not much. selling them as commodities, you know, regularly. I mean, they'll sell them to each other, but selling tickets and merchandise, certainly. <laughs> okay, I want to go back to you talking about um, snakes being not social creatures. Um, and, of course, maybe I loved my snake like you love snakes. And I thought that she was my friend and wanted to play with me. <laughs> um, and I... I mean, she didn't care when I came home or whatever, but I would, I mean, she was always out of her cage and she would lay on my stomach probably because it was warm 
you know, <laughs> but we'd watch TV and she'd come up and lick my nose, which I know she's just smelling, but like she would like <laughs> lick me on the nose and I'd bring her outside and we'd play in the grass. I mean, I guess however you kind of can play with a snake, but she would go <laughs> away and then she'd come back to me and then she'd go away and then she'd come back to me. And so I kind of did, I, I mean, and I would take her everywhere. Like I would wrap her around my neck and we'd go for car drives and I'd, you know, take her to school. And I mean, we were always together. Maybe that wasn't, um, the best thing for her and I'm not I'm definitely not advocating I'm just sharing my experience from when I was in my early 20s I I wouldn't recommend that anybody does this but I I you know am I just um am I just making something out of nothing am I you know was I just wishing maybe that there was or feeling like there was something there that wasn't actually there how I look at it is, um, it's sort of a weird analogy, but how I think about my relationship with the snakes, um, and then I'll, I'll get to how I relate to what you were saying, is I sort of think of parents that have, you know, really unruly teenagers and that, you know, that will say, oh, I hate you. I, like, you know, when you, there's relationships in life that seem one-sided, but you still love them regardless, right? That's how I feel about the snakes. I love them, and I love all snakes, and I care very deeply about their welfare and their conservation and alleviating their cruelty, but I don't expect them to return that because they're not really, even in the wild, snakes aren't really social. I mean, a lot of the females will lay their eggs um, and then slither away and they'll never even see their offspring. And the offspring are pretty much independent from the day they're born. Um, snakes that give birth to live young, the, the young will be born and they might linger around the mother for a little bit, but again, they're on their own. So they're not even really social with each other, with their offspring, um, for the most part, right? So, um, but I'm, that being said, though, I don't want to discredit what you felt for your snake. I think you, you, to you, you probably did have a bond with it and loved her and enjoyed her, but her affection back, again, it was all practical. Again, mm -hmm. she probably did like laying on your stomach because she enjoyed warm. Snakes <laughs> can be inquisitive creatures and might want to explore and things, but those are just them exhibiting their natural behaviors, right. whether it's thermal regulation for heat or forging and searching or being inquisitive or exploring their environment with, you know, picking up scents. So these are things they would naturally do in the wild. So I'm not saying... Certainly you have interactions with snakes and lots of snakes have are very gentle and docile and and tolerant of people I mean snakes are not these murderous monsters, which I say all the time No, but, and she was a ball python, which I think is probably like the most common oh, pet yeah, store kind of snake Very, you know, you know laid-back snakes. They have a lovely disposition, but mm -hmm. just because they are tolerant doesn't mean, you know, I don't I don't think the snake loved you or no or you, but that's not to say that, you know, you can't appreciate that animal for what it is. So that's how I would sort of look at it. Right. And I guess, you know, I wouldn't, at this point in my life and veganism, I would never advocate for somebody getting one and, ha and you know, trying to have a relationship with a snake, especially after talking to you. I, I mean... I actually wanted to get another one, and I mean, I never will ever get another snake again. I mean, you're probably going to make my husband very happy because he <laughs> doesn't want one. Um, but I, I did want to get another snake at some point, and I, I won't now. I never will. Well, I was, I was going to ask though, because obviously there are some that do need somebody who can 
give them what they need. I mean, I don't... They're... But I don't have a sanctuary. Well, I guess what I want... Well, that was a question that I wanted to ask Matt, though, is... So for people who really are sympathetic, you know, like, I guess the way... That, here's what I'm thinking. I like fish. And that's odd. Because fish don't like you. appear to emote. You know, like a lot of reptiles, you don't... You can't see expressions on their faces necessarily or kind of pick up what they may be thinking or feeling by their expressions because they're pretty static. Um, but I feel an incredibly, an incredible sympathy and empathy for fish who are also, I mean, just completely, oh, I mean, I, I just get so upset when I see that, you know, the big nets of fish and they're being suffocated and pulled up out of their, out of their, um, atmosphere and you know slit open all the things that happen to fish and the stores you know laid out tails of them i just hate it you know and they can't scream because they can you know they can't make any sounds and um so i feel a lot of sympathy for them and i used to do i used to be um do rescue through my uh animal control in the city where i live a long time ago when I was, you know, 19 and 20, I did um, what I called rodent rescue, which was, you know, animal control. They, they're they known for dogs and cats, but they also, they get hamsters and guinea pigs and gerbils and turtles and snakes and, you know, fish and all kinds of stuff. But people will, you know, how does a fish end up in the pound? Well, if somebody <laughs> leaves, seriously, like it's, I was curious and they said, well, you know, when people just leave in the middle of the night for their apartments or something, they're not paying the rent. They'll just leave a fish tank mm -hmm. there. And then what happens? Well, I guess the city comes and picks up the fish tank. So you can actually go to the pound and get fish if you need to. Um, but, you know, so I was interested in like, oh, fish rescue. That's an interesting idea <laughs> because there are some fish that are just stuck. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't necessarily put them in a lake. And But anyway, I didn't end up doing that because I found all the stuff that I was looking at was... You know, basically, when you set up a tank, you need to expect that the first couple fish you put in there are going to die because you don't have the levels correct. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that knowingly. I just decided not to do it. But I'm thinking, you know, I, I actually contacted Matt a couple months ago because, you know, I know him through Facebook. And I had seen a big, huge snake on a sidewalk in Minneapolis. And there were some cops around. And I'm like what's going to happen to that snake? You know, I just didn't know what Minneapolis had in place for snakes on the sidewalk <clears throat> that were clearly, you know, gigantic and not really going to go, I don't know where <laughs> in Minneapolis. So I contacted Matt and he was awesome. And he contacted Minneapolis Animal Control and talked to them and made sure that the snake was going to be okay. But I mean, that's, I'm sure, you know, snakes are status symbols in some circles and they end up abandoned and whatnot. So there's gotta be people out there who are going to be, you know, it would be nice if there were more people who were willing to take them and give them what they can give them in imperfect circumstances. Okay. I think what you maybe were going for in a really long roundabout way, Matt, maybe you can speak to this. <laughs> is that, is it, does it make, well, I don't know. Like, I feel like you were starting to say something, and then all of a sudden you started talking about fish. Um, but, like, okay, so if I wanted, okay, I don't get to have a snake anyway, and it, I think you're going to congratulate me on that, but um, yes. <laughs> if, if people wanted to do something, like, I can't, 
I can't provide for a snake other than giving it a habitat and a heat lamp and food in my apartment in a cage. And so I think what Dallas is maybe somewhere getting to, or I hope that's what she was thinking about, is is there foster situations or is there adoption situations where people can help a snake live their life out? Or is it just best to leave it to kind of the professionals like you? Because if I were to take on someone's Burmese python, this 40-foot snake is going to live the rest of its life in an aquarium. Yeah. And that's not fair. Or I, even a six-foot. I mean, even if I still had my, my ball python, well, yeah, that she would like, live the rest of her life in an aquarium. Yeah. Um, are, there, I, are there rescue, are there, you know, places where they can go where they're actually in a habitat that isn't an aquarium? Uh, that's a good question. Most people that keep snakes, um, I keep them in aquariums, um, but certainly uh, um, what happens with a lot of the, these snake collectors or hobbyists, they're called, um, so they can have the maximum amount of reptiles. Um, they'll often keep them in like little sweater, bo like plastic sweater boxes. And then I've literally seen like hundreds stacked one on top of the other. And that's where the snakes live their lives in these little sweater boxes where it's a sheet of newspaper, a dish, and then the snake. And they, you know, they can't really stretch up or mm. climb or do anything. Oh my God. Except, and, and it's, and that's what it is. These snake hoarders, I call them. Um, oh now, my it said, God. you know, and that's horrific. Um, so when, you know, when they are hopefully rescued and moved into an adoption or rehab situation, you're asking, is there any other option for them? Usually snakes have to be kept in some sort of tank just because large outdoor enclosures or cages are, are usually not safe because the snakes can often escape. And mm -hmm. that's usually bad for the snake more than anything because what happens to a snake that's randomly encountered by humans, they usually get scared of it and it usually gets killed. Now, when we're talking about animals in captivity, that's, again, what I was saying earlier. It's a, it's a huge issue, right? I know about snakes. I don't know about, you know, you know, you have to sort of look at it on an individual case level, I think, when, it, when you were talking about animal rights. Because what might be good for one animal, you know, isn't necessarily going to be good for the next, so forth and so on. You really want to meet the needs of that individual species because... You know, there's so many different animal species that require so many different needs and, and their natural wildlife lives so different lifestyles and, 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 and habitats. So that all has to be considered. And in the wild, snakes, for the most part, are not extremely active animals. A lot of them spend the large majority of their lives coiled up hiding under rocks or leaf litter or in, in burrows. Um, some of them don't even actively hunt. They're called ambush hunters and they will use their tongues to pick up scent trails of rodents, coil up and hunker down beside it, and they don't actually hunt. They just find these trails and hope that food will kind of come to them, <laughs> and then and then they'll strike and eat it and, and so forth. So that being said, snakes don't need a huge amount of space um, compared to other animals, but that doesn't mean they should be kept in little sweater boxes stacked up on a, you know, in a room hoarded like that. So what I try to do is give each snake enough space to meet the needs of that particular species. So some snakes will have much taller um, setups because they're arboreal species that like to live up in the trees. And some of the um, enclosures have to be misted very vigorously every mm -hmm. day to keep the humidity up because they come from tropical regions. Other snakes are terrestrial. 
Um, so they're going to need a lot more ground space for them to crawl around on and might need arid conditions. So it's a massive amount of work because I have to meet the needs of each individual snake species and make sure they get what they want. Um, one thing that's very crucial to them is that each one has to have a spot to hide, whether it's under a log or a rock outcrop or leaf litter, something. Because in the wild, snakes are pretty shy and spend most of their time hiding. When you do see them basking out in the open, it's usually within close proximity to a shelter or someplace for them to escape and feel safe and secure. Um, so having a snake in a glass box, totally exposed all the time, is going to put that under that animal under a lot of undue stress, which can then have very serious uh, consequences to their overall health. Um, it can weaken their immune system, and that's where you know opportunistic bacteria and things can move in, and you start looking at all sorts of health problems and and so forth and so on. Um, and snakes will often have very subtle signs of illness because in the wild, um, if an animal looks sickly or is noticeably ill, they're going to be a prime target for uh, predators, right? So they want to, you know, repress those signs. So when you do start seeing symptoms, it's usually a snake that's uh, very, very far along. So these are all things that have to be considered when, you know, taking an animal into captivity. Can you provide all these things to it. And <laughs> I think it was Dallas that asked at the beginning, you know, what are you doing when you're not doing snake speaks? Well, I said, I'm always doing say, snake something because, you know, I have all these rescued snakes and, you know, I can't tell them, you know what, go take care of yourself for the day. I want the day off. I don't get that luxury, yeah. which is fine. I mean, I, I knew that going into it. I love snakes. This is my passion. This is what I do. But it is something that had to be you know, seriously considered because it is a lot of work and it's my job to make sure that those animals are well looked after and they yeah. get the best possible life they have in captivity. Um, so, you know, if someone does love snakes and wants one because they do want to provide proper care and it does end up at an animal shelter and they are interested in doing it on a rescue basis, I wouldn't be opposed to that because again, you know, they can't really go back into the wild, but I would really really strongly recommend that that person not take it um very lightly like it's paramount that you understand that you're entering into a massive responsibility and sadly the pet trade has marketed reptiles as low maintenance easy to care for pets when you know <laughs> not before they're further from the truth you basically have to recreate an ecosystem and a habitat in the confines of an aquarium and not just any but to meet the needs of that specific uh, species because you know, a desert king snake, which is, you know, pretty common in the pet trade, is going to need radically different care than, say, a ball python. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, a ball python needs to stay humid because they come from Central Africa, rainforested area. Um, the king snake needs to be dry. And if you have the ball python too dry, it's going to get lateral folds in the skin, dehydrate it. It's not going to shed properly. It's going to run into all sorts of problems. But if the king snake was kept too moist, it could get a respiratory tract infection. You know, mm -hmm. so there's all these things that have to be considered. Um, and, and it's not something that can be taken lightly. There's You have to really know um, the inside out of that animal and the the diseases that it can get and, and the, the kind of husbandry it needs. So it's a lot of work. So I, you know, if, if someone feels confident that they could do it, I don't see anything wrong with rescue because I mean, where these animals do have to go somewhere and often, you know, people who do it professionally um, do look for fosters because, you know, you can only take so many. 
animals. You know, you can't save them all, which is sad, but that's the reality of the situation. But you certainly want to work with people and uh, really let them know what they're getting into before they just rush into taking in an exotic animal simply because they, you know, they love it or they think it's cool. Um, it's a lot more than that. So I wanted to actually comment on that, that them getting sick in a couple ways. My snake would actually get respiratory issues and the way that I knew is that I could hear her breathing. And so I would have to give her these little syringes full of medicine, which was like I'd have to kind of pry it into the side of her mouth and, and squirt it in and she hated it. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that was like, they don't really have a normal way of, like you don't necessarily know if something's wrong with them, but it just, it seemed odd to me that I could hear her breathing. And so I took her into the vet and that's how I found out something was wrong with her. Um, but, and that was just kind of on instinct because I could have just let it go thinking, oh, that's weird, but whatever. I didn't know anything about snakes, but I, it just intuitively didn't seem right. Um, and the other thing I think that I'm surprised hasn't come up yet, I don't think it has, snakes don't live for like a year. They live for a long time. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I mean, it's they not... some 15 to even 30 years old. Yeah, um, so this isn't like a cat or dog that you're maybe going to get 12 to 17 years if you're lucky. I mean, they can live a really long time. So that's kind of a major, major commitment. It is. It's a I mean, I could easily be, you know, in my 50s or 60s and looking after snakes. I mean, so it's a long, you know, you're in it for the long haul. Um, and what you were saying, Ryan, um, it, it's really true about people overlooking snake illnesses because it's, you know, so, almost all the snakes that I take in as rescues come in sick with some, you know, mouth rot, respiratory infections, mites, improper sheds. I mean, it runs the gamut, right? And it's so funny that their owners um, have no idea. They think, oh, this, you know, the snake is fine. I, we, I took a ball python in, I think it was last summer, and it was severely underweight, severely dehydrated. It looked like an accordion. It had all these folds in its skin because it was so dehydrated and underweight, and it was covered in dead skin. And I thought it would it was gonna die. I mean, um, and she thankfully did live and is now you know filled out and good weight and and healthy and and eats fantastic. And it doesn't even look like the same snake. But it's just so funny that you know you would look at that animal and just see how you know bad off it like it it looks sickly and, and and frail and it's just funny that that's what happens time after time people bring these animals in and they surrender them and then they're like oh they're they're in good health we took care of them i i hope I, but we don't you know want them anymore i hope you enjoy them and it, it's just bewildering that how you know bad off they come in um one of the boa constrictors that i recently took in her face is full of mal um, you know, malformations uh, because of improper care and, um, you know, it, and she has to have injectable antibiotics and, and you have to swab her mouth and, and she, uh, you know, she of course hates it and um, it's awful. So, I mean, it's terrible what sort of, you know, I've seen firsthand, like we talked a little bit about facts and figures about the pet trade, but I've seen some, you know, horrific um, things. Um, I took in a lizard once because the, no one else knew who did, you know, where it would go. So someone asked me. I went to this guy's house, and the digits on the animal's feet were starting to rot off from the oh. amount of uric acid and waste matter in the tank. Oh. And then a couple ball pythons, and in their tank, the waste 
and feces. It was like inches thick, and I had to chisel. When, like I took the snakes out of these tanks, and I thought the tanks might be salvageable, but it was ridiculous. Um, and, it, and it's just so, I mean, it, it's so frustrating when, you know, you have all these snake hobbyists and things who hate me, and I get hate mail from them all the time. Anyone who likes, you know, reptiles or the reptile hobby or collecting snakes, you know, they just absolutely despise me, which is fine. I care no. about <laughs> yeah. But it's just funny that they... Can, it staggers me that they will, you know, fight, you know, me to the teeth and, and, you know, you're wrong and how dare you say the reptile trade is bad. It's the best thing for snakes. And then you can see these snakes that are deformed and, and just completely sickly and, and suffering all because of this trade. None of these things would have happened if it wasn't for this trade. And, uh, you know, I feel really proud that you know, as someone who focuses on snakes, I do speak out against that. You know, someone was saying to me, because you know, lots of people hate snakes, we know that and are afraid of them, that, you know, you would be so much more popular and, and you know, if you marketed yourself to those snake hobbyists, you could talk about all those other issues, but if you didn't talk about the pet trade, they might embrace you and, and you know, you'd be, have so much, and I said, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing this because I want to be popular. You know, I'm not out for yeah. a popularity contest. I'm doing this for snakes and how what do you I know? Not? A consistent vegan. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so how can you not talk about, you know, the worst, you know, one of the worst threats to them is this pet trade, so. Yeah. Well, I, I guess. I feel like we could talk to you for like 18 hours, but I feel like we're going a little bit long. Should yeah. we probably start moving I guess, a little bit? Well, so, well, just the very last thing. Okay. So for people who don't. Okay, what are like the top three things people can do or to make the world better for And snakes? top three things people should know. Well, people who listen to this podcast. So people <laughs> who are already vegan. Probably already prob vegan. Or probably, you know, or really interested in it, but kind of animal rights leaning people. Well, what I would say then to, you know, the listeners who, as you said, are probably, you know, animal rights supporters or vegans is um, what I want them to walk away with and a quick recap is just to remember that, you know, if you love dogs and cats and seals and all the cute and cuddly animals, don't forget that, you know, snakes do feel pain. Snakes are people too. Exactly. You know, they breathe air, they bleed blood, and yet they face some horrific threats that are not well publicized. And if you care about ending animal cruelty, I really encourage you to visit my website. If you go on Google and just Google snake man, I'm the top result, Matt Ellerbeck, the snake man. Um, and you can log on and learn all about, you know, some of these horrific threats that snakes face. But more importantly, what we can do to help out. So I hope listeners that, you know, when they're thinking about making kind choices and living a cruelty-free lifestyle, they'll think about, you know, what we can do to help our uh, legless friends as well. Because they really, you know, they have so few advocates and allies. So anyone who does care about animals or ending animal cruelty, um, it would be great if they could get on board and think about all animals, not just uh you know, you know, the factory farmed ones and not to downplay the cruelty that any animal faces, mm -hmm. but just to think about other things as well is really what I uh, want to say. Well, we will, we'll be linking your website on our blog. So anybody that wants to know more about the show or where they can find you or anything else we talk about during the show um, can find that on our website, stillvegan.org. So they'll be able to link that way. 
if people do you accept donations if people want to contribute to what you're doing do you have a donation link I on your do. page um on my what we're currently setting up a paypal um which is not launched yet so people do want to make donations uh they can contact me directly uh through my email or uh work number which is on the website okay uh, or alternatively there's a donation page where i've just put together um, links for what you know some fantastic snake conservation projects that are really working um, and I've donated to several of these myself so people um, want to donate you know not necessarily to me but to snakes and helping snakes as a whole Great. there's a page on there that has some fantastic links to uh, some projects and uh, things that I really respect and admire and that I uh, really love to help out. So. Good. Well, thank All you right. so much. Thank you very much for being on the show. It's important what you're doing. And um, I don't know, I guess Ryan and I just felt that one thing we could do was have you on the show, mm -hmm. which is very little. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank, <laughs> thank you for having me. I, I, really, I really do appreciate it. So, so yeah. do you want to stay on then while we keep going? Well, it is. I do have to sadly leave because it's. I because we did run long, and it's actually the time of day that I have to go um, put the snakes to bed, as I call it. Like, I have to mimic their natural day and night cycle, so I have to shut off the heat lamps and lower the temperature. And well, for the nocturnal species, they're just going to be getting off, so I should Aww. probably get back to the the snakes. Um, they Good, do night. Okay. Good night. Good night, snakes. Well, we super, <laughs> super, super appreciate you being patient with us and, and taking oh, all of this no. time well, out of your schedule. To yeah, and, you know, thank you for being willing to be unpopular. Seriously. Oh, and thank fun. you for being it's consistent. A big, yeah, that's, we are, we really acknowledge you for that. So thanks so much, Matt. Um, everybody go check out his website. And um, you can also find Matt on Facebook, too. And right, if, you, uh, if you don't end up going to the, the show page for whatever reason, it's www dot the dash snake dash man dot com okay so thanks matt all right thanks matt bye bye thank you it was bye. a pleasure and a privilege and i, I really enjoyed it so oh, it was yeah. our pleasure thank you right. so much take care thank bye -bye. you bye bye bye, bye. <laughs> goodbye elliot bye, bye <laughs> i forgot about elliot oh sorry elliot all right so should we yeah. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about our... Should we go right into the product review? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was fun. Okay. Product review. Product review. We're gonna do a product review. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and nobody likes the way I pronounce this, so deal with it. Just deal with it. We're gonna talk about Leahy's. Leahees or Leahees. Or Leahees. Or something Ahees. Leahees, Leahees, I don't know. Spell it. L E A H E Y apostrophe S. Okay. Wow, that was really something. That was a cheer. <clears throat> Give me an L. I'm not going to do all that. But okay. anyway, so it's Leahees, Leahees, whatever it is. Um, but anyway, they make mac and cheese that is the bomb. Mm hmm. Which we've talked about previously, actually. Yeah, we shook it. We shook it for y'all. But <laughs> um, we actually got some more of their product to try. Because and they make a lot of different things. They make a ton of things. And we tried some other of their things. And, some other of their things. And we're pleasantly surprised. I was, anyway. 
Um, Dallas kind of only liked one of the things we tried. She didn't care for the other one, which I'll explain why. Um, well, they make so, yeah. a bunch of stuff. They make gravies. They make soups. They make the mac and cheese that is the bomb. Mm -hmm. They make stroganoff, which is the mini bomb. Which is one of the things that we tried today. Right. So we'll talk about... Okay, so we had stroganoff. And Ryan made it. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. I love it when I just walk in and there's food waiting <laughs> for me. It's awesome. Um, so here's my re review on that. I say thumbs up. Buy it. I would like to see more noodles in it or firmer noodles. But apparently you said that it's all in the same mix. It's all in the same mix. So, okay. If you don't like your noodles... If you like your noodles al dente, I don't know how you'd separate them, but surely you could probably, like, I don't know, pull the noodles out. Because what it requires of you is that you, it's like five cups of water in a saute pan, and then you dump the mix in, and the mix is with the noodles. So, obviously, if you're going to cook something for 10 minutes, then the noodles are going to be, or 15 minutes, however long, it doesn't take long, but however long it takes, the noodles are going to be cooked longer. So, that's going to make them softer. Right. And with the mac and cheese, the noodles that come with the mix tend to be soft, and I like mine a little bit more firm, so um, we like to use our own, you know, like bulk macaroni from the produce section or something. But I did like it, What and and I liked it, even though it's like a mushroom gravy stroke it is. thing. And I don't like mushrooms, but I did like this. This was a really... I don't know um, what this costs at the store, because we just received samples, um, but for, I mean, it, it would easily feed four people and it's so quick and I haven't had, I haven't tried to make a stroganoff as a vegan. So it's been a long, 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 long time since I've had a stroganoff. This is the first time I've had a stroganoff in my life that didn't make my stomach retch in pain Ooh. afterwards. I don't know what it is about traditional stroganoff that made my stomach hurt. I don't know if there's something about the sauce or what, or the grease from the meat. I don't know, but, Ooh. um, but this is the first time that I've had stroganoff that set well in my tummy. I will say, well, we should let people know that you added some boca, cr boca crumbles. I did add the littlest bit of boca crumblers. I also added nooch and garlic salt. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, season it how you want, you know, it's not, it's not super salty on its own and I like things very salty, so... And I always like things garlicky. And Elliot tried it. What yes. did you think, Elliot? Be honest. It. Uh, I kind of have an issue with things that re remind me too much of meat, or remind me too much of real meat dishes. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of one of them. It was too close for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like to, if I'm going to have a veggie burger, for for instance, it's got to be sort of black bean based or grain based. But if it's something that looks and feels and tastes like meat, I get kind of freaked out and mm -hmm. that. Is just going to make me miss everything from my childhood. Oh. So I like, I try and avoid things that are close to meat. Well, yeah. That's so a, that's just a personal hmm. kind of crusade yeah. of mine. Well, I have that thing about most Gardein products too. They freak me out. But, um, right. but there's many people who love them. So you know where you are on that spectrum. And I also don't like mushrooms. So I'm kind of, you know, maybe a bad t uh, test subject for this particular product. Well, yeah. Dallas hates mushrooms. I don't, oh, mushrooms, no. But you but want I did, seconds of the stroganoff. I, I want thirds. <laughs> the The mushrooms are cut up in very, very small pieces. You wouldn't even necessarily know they were there. I wouldn't, which 
Clearly she is didn't. good to know. So, um, yeah, anyway, I would give it a try. We also tried... Potato soup. Potato soup. I loved the potato soup. Um, again, it's like 20 minutes to make. It makes a ton in the bag. I bet you could probably... I mean, it's... I mean, I don't know. You could pare down the water and use... I mean, you could probably do half of the bag at one time. Um, but I really, really liked it. And Dallas thought it had kind of a funny flavor that she couldn't put her finger on. And it actually is a bacony flavor. Um, so it's, it tastes very much like a traditional potato soup, I think. Or ham. Yeah, it's, it definitely has a um, like a bacon ham yeah, flavor some kind of pigs. to it. But um, yeah, I was not a big fan of the soup because there was that thing going on. I really, really liked it. Where does that come from? I would imagine from Bragg's. It'd be some sort of liquid smoke or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah stop bragging about it. Ah, uh, <laughs> <hi>, Elliot. <laughs> so we actually have some product from Leah He's to give away. They've sent us these beautiful gift bags, um, and we have them to give away to you guys. Yay. They don't. I don't think they have the stroganoff and the potato. Maybe they have the potato soup, but they've got the mac and cheese and gravies and I don't know. I think there's like five or six different products in there for you to try. So, what do we want people to do for this? I want. I don't know. How about photos? A photo of what? Photos posted on our Facebook page. Of what? I don't know. What do you think? Um. Photos posted on our Facebook page, something about, get, give us a photo that shows us how you feel about Midwest Vegan Radio. Uh, I, yeah, I want that. Okay. And it's our show, right? So yeah, we can ask for whatever we want. I suppose. I mean, they're big gift bags. They're nice. They are. So There's take a, a photo of, stuff of something. In there, so put a little effort into it. Take a photo of you and representing... Middle yeah. speaking radio somehow or some way. Yeah. However you want to do it, be creative. And tag Midwest Vegan Radio in the photo. Yeah. I think that's all you gotta do. And then we'll do a winner between one and two weeks after the episode airs. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, we've got a couple winners. Come on, guys. Or we'll have a couple winners. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Um, and it's on to the green challenge. It's time for the green challenge. Green challenge. Green challenge. There's no gloves. There's no swords. No white suits. Uh-uh. It's just green challenge. You're just doing the earth a solid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is this is a green challenge that Elliot and I were talking about. Elliot, are you sure you want to confess this? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Elliot and I are... We're down to earth. <laughs> yes. I think. How committed are you? We're about yeah, to how committed are you? So the Green Challenge, uh, what was it? A couple, a couple, it was a episodes, couple episodes ago. A couple episodes back, we had been talking about um, the Green Challenge was to displace some water in the toilet tank. And so that you, every time you flush the toilet, you would be using less water, right? And so what if you didn't use the toilet at all? Except for number two. Except for number two, which is probably still necessary most of the time i don't even if you number two in your i don't even want to hear about it i'm not there anyway yet. so the, i'm not that green the, <laughs> the green challenge is to pee in the shower 
And it really should not be that shocking, people. This isn't... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You've never done that, Ryan? I don't... Maybe as a kid. I don't maybe know. Maybe as a kid? I don't know. I think it's great. Yeah. Have you tried it since Elliot suggested it? Or do you do that? Oh, yeah. Do you piddle in your shower? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll have to give it a try. I don't know. It's, it's, all, it's all pipes. You know, it all goes to the same, the, yeah. the same place. And it's fun. I'm not like, it's not As like I'm girl, making it, faces about, I'm not like, you know, oh my God, that's so gross. I can't believe you would do that. Like, I just, it hadn't necessarily been on my radar to do. I'm not necessarily against it. Yeah. I mean, you can't have a golden shower without that, can you? Sure. Okay. No. no. I've not, yeah, I, that I have not done. I don't know that that would be necessarily green. Peeing on someone else? Yeah, I don't think that there's any added benefit to the environment. Probably not. <laughs> as long as you're not flushing a toilet. As long as you're, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so I think, I mean, it's fun. As a girl, especially, standing up and peeing, that's fun. Right. I'll give it a shot. And if you have to shower anyway, you know, why pee beforehand? Just pee while you're in the shower. That saves however that many That saves water sure. and time. Sure, sure. yeah. <laughs> you brush your teeth in there, too. I've done the, the I have, I'm, I'm pro-teeth brushing in the shower. You've done that? Yeah. I haven't done that. In fact, I think my toothbrush is normally just kept in there. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, I haven't tried that. That's a time saver. All right. I will take that challenge. And do that. Oh, wait. I have an electric toothbrush. So? You're not going to get electrocuted. It's battery operated. Yeah, but I don't know if it's waterproof. Is it an expensive one? Yes. it's How can it very... not be waterproof? You run it under water and put it in your mouth. No, just the head, the, not the not the handle. Yeah, but you get like spittle on the handle, and you could get. The... I don't know. I can't I don't imagine know. a toothbrush not being waterproof. That would be the really silliest toothbrush ever. I mean, you don't submerge it. It's not like you're holding it under the water. I don't know. Well, look at look. Well, on... anyway, I'm just gonna keep peeing in the shower. Okay. And I, you can keep brushing your teeth. I encourage you to pee there. I'm, I guess I'm going to start peeing in the shower. It's great. I think you're going to like it. Okay. Elliot's a fan. Yeah. Even if it's not running. Like if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to pee. Oh, I haven't you, done that. You pee in the shower and give it a little spritz to get the... Well, that's going to be easier for you, though. That's true. It would true. be running yes. down our legs. This is for the men out there. Because <laughs> this is... Who are few and far between. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are not as many men. In the animal rights organization. But yeah. hey, maybe mm-hmm. if word gets out that we talk about peeing... In the, you know, in the middle of the night in your bathtub, maybe sure. the men will start to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, who knows? Yeah. But... It's fun, too. It's more fun than peeing in the toilet. I barfed in my sink once. That's good. Does that count? That's green. And just, what, rinsed it down instead of flushed? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't because I didn't want, I wasn't trying to be green. It was just that someone was in the bathroom and I had to puke, so I puked in the sink instead. Oh, well. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I couldn't really hold it. It was like it was gonna come whether or not I had a yeah, toilet. Yeah, well, the sink is a good place to go. Right. I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I know what I was saying. It's more fun. I saw a thing on uh, on the internet, which is where I see most things now. Um, but it was a picture of a urinal, and there was like a little football. Oh, nice football potty shot. I don't know what the. Oh, is that a game? Yeah, yeah. This was when I was a kid. There are uh, they had sort of battleship on paper things that you would put in your toilet. It looked like a submarine, and you would try and pee on them and sink them. 
And Probably to help aiming associ- associated with various ships. So to help kids get potty trained? Yep. But they're called potty shots, so you Yeah. You compete and you keep score and there are points involved and that is something all these kinds of things, yes. Man, we missed out on stuff. When <laughs> Men we were are girls. awesome, I'm telling you right now. Men are mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I I don't know. I just I guess maybe it just doesn't take as much to make me happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, I I kind of I'm a little bit envious of that. So, okay, be. anyway, that's the green challenge. Have fun with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's great. So, shout outs. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Um, okay. Oh, oh, do you want me to go? Okay. Well, <laughs> All right. I'll I'll start. Okay. So, our first one is from Shannon Carmen. Hello, Shannon. Shannon says, please give a shout out to Steve who works at Earth Fair in Centerville, Ohio. He was helping me at the deli and gave me a great seitan recipe. He also gave me my first ever fist pump for being vegan. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, And she also says, thanks guys, have happy holidays. You should shout out to yourselves because you're super fantastic. Well, yeah. Shout out to ourselves. Which goes along with the next... Shout out. So you go ahead and... Oh. Yeah. But then I... Can I do the next two? Yeah, you can. Okay. So Jen says, I love you guys, and thank you so much, Jen. That's Jen, sweet. Jen S. Jen S. Okay. Oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Adriana Lee C. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adriana says, shout out to my sister, Nicole, who went vegan with me a few months ago. Nicole, thank you for being so supportive of me. You're my best friend, and I'm so happy we're making this journey together. Aww. Oh, that is so sweet. Oh, that is awesome. Um, I want a sister to go vegan with me, except for my sister already is vegan. That is awesome. Aww. Oh, my gosh. That is so sweet. Um, you should write to Luna Bar or something and have them put that on a wrapper. Oh, <laughs> Seriously. Oh, if Luna Bar had something about, like... Oh, to my sister, Nicole, thank you for going vegan with me. You're my best friend. Then you'd have vegan sisters on all kinds of white chocolate chip macadamia Luna bars everywhere. I'm losing you so many ways this episode. I don't understand what's going on here. Is she being weird or am I out of it? Is she being weirder Elliot, than usual? Be care- think about how you answer this, Elliot. <laughs> I played the fifth. Yeah, he's not going there. Are you tracking not, with what she's saying? I'm not saying? touching that with a 40-foot pole. Yeah. <laughs> because I know Muay Thai. Yes. I know Star Wars characters. I know fish movie man. references. Yeah. <laughs> What's the Star Wars character that looks like a fish? I don't know that. Oh, busted. It doesn't matter. Well, Admiral Just be- Akbar. Let me, he's awesome. Let me okay. tell you this, Elliot. <laughs> Did you pay... To see the Harry Potter movie. Did you pay to get in to see Harry Potter for the six-minute Star Wars trailer? And then leave after the trailer. Are you talking about Meet Joe Black? Which Star Wars trailer? I'm talking about years and years and years ago. Like it was the very first Harry Potter movie. 2001. And the Harry Potter movie before it had a six-minute Star Wars trailer. I paid to see Harry Potter to see the six-minute Star Wars trailer. Did you do that? No. I don't watch trailers. I also 
went to a Star Wars convention in Indiana. Wow. I can't believe you're admitting this. <laughs> now. She's outing herself. Wow. Now, yeah. let me ask you, whether or not I know names. Yeah. I know the important ones. I know Boba, Boba yeah. Fett. I know, I know the important characters. Okay. I know everyone's favorite, favorite Jar Jar Binks. Okay. Which, obviously, I hope I you don't... understand I'm saying sarcastically. Yes. Is Dallas being strange today, or am I misreading her? <laughs> this is MVR, baby. Everybody's strange. Fine. Okay, okay I'll, I'm fine to be strange, if you, that'll make you feel I'm better. I'm just not sure if I'm not tracking or if you're not tracking today. I don't know. Listeners, let us know. <laughs> what do you think? Weigh in on episode we should have an 23. Poll. Yeah, really. Who's, who's the weird one today? Who's the weird one yeah, today? Yeah, episode 23, who side you on? <laughs> <laughs> so, those those be our shout-outs. I hope you really enjoyed this super long episode. Uh, yeah. Hopefully Yeah. Have you been sitting in your driveway this whole time? <laughs> that would really suck. When are they gonna be ago. done? Oh, I'm so, I mean I'm this invested in it. I can't stop now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like two in the morning. Just sitting in the car. They're just drones. Yeah. Yeah. The beauty they, of they really have to pee really yeah. bad, so yeah. go do it in your shower. Go feed their snake and pee in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. The beauty of podcasts, you can pause. Yes. It ain't and live, fast people. forward, people. Yeah. Oh, no, That's don't fast forward. No, you'll miss something really important. Or bizarre, either way. <laughs> All, All right. right, well, till next time. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.